Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you, and welcome to those of you who are watching online. Glad that you're with us from whatever city or state or maybe even country you're in, and uh, we're glad that you guys are all here. It is December. It is the time when we're preparing our hearts and our homes to, to worship the birth of the Savior King. I love this season. I love this season. And uh, one of the things I love about celebrating Christmas in Northeast Ohio is that one of the dynamics that my family has encountered since we moved here from Central Valley, California five years ago ago is that Christmas songs make a whole lot more sense now. All right? I just want you to know that. Like, for example, um, the song, Let It Snow. The weather outside is frightful. The fire is so delightful. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't look like it's going to be stopping, right? Uh, this is a shot of just outside our window, uh, you know, I think that was last year's Christmas. But I remember that first Christmas we, we were here, uh, uh, if, if you guys remember 2010, some of you document the weather like, you know, I don't know. But uh, it, it started snowing just before Thanksgiving and didn't stop for like four months. It snowed every day for four months. And so when I think about, you know, the fire so delightful and it doesn't show signs of stopping, I, I get that now, right? Uh, jingle bells, dashing through the snow and a one-horse open sleigh. We've done that, all right? There's a place out here in Burton that uh, we'd like to go to maybe once a year if we can get over there uh, that you can take sleigh rides. So we've dashed through the snow in a one-horse, even a two-horse open sleigh. And sometimes it's been very pleasant and fun. Sometimes your face is just about to like slide off, you know, because it's frozen. But it was fun. We, we understand that now. I think about the Christmas song, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. I've never done that, just so you know. Um, but Jack Frost nipping at your nose, folks dressed up like Eskimos. Uh, this is a picture of my son dressed up like an Eskimo. I think he's actually building an igloo right there in, in, in our street corner. And as far as Jack Frost nipping at the nose, that's bogus. I have rewritten that line. It is Jack Frost ripping off your nose. <laughs> there, there, there is no nipping, all right? Jack Frost is just digging his claws into your nose and ripping them off your face, all right, when it's negative or whatever. So um, we, the, the, the weather here and the contrast of the weather has given us a deeper insight and understanding of some of the Christmas songs. And there's no shortage of Christmas songs, right? I mean, there's a plethora of Christmas songs. Christmas tunes dominate the holiday song offerings. But here's the question. Do we have deep insights? Do we have a deeper understanding of all the songs that we sing at Christmas time? And I'm not talking about the silly ones. I'm talking about more of the spiritual hymns, the spiritual songs, like some of the words that we hear coming through, some of the, some of the tunes that we sing and the lyrics that we are familiar with. Do we really know the deeper meaning of those songs? And so what we've done is uh, we've crafted our Christmas series around four well-known Christmas carols. Uh, there's a zillion out there, but we just picked four of our favorites that we want to take. We want to tie them to their biblical roots of what, what, what inspired these songs songs, and then really just take the next uh, four opportunities we have to gather and, and talk about the lyrics of Christmas. And my hope is that just as uh, the weather has helped us understand some of those songs as a family in a different context, that us uh, gathering around these songs and their lyrics and their biblical roots will give us deeper insights into the biblical narrative of the birth of Christ and the beauty of this season, this Advent season, and that uh, we'll be reminded or we'll learn for the first time some things about our faith. And, and, and these songs are theology to music. And, and, and it's just a beautiful thing. And so uh, the first song that we're going to be talking about and we're kicking it off this morning is this. I want to look at the song, which is one of, if not the oldest Christmas song ever sang. 
and it's O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This is one of my personal favorites. There's just something enchanting, almost haunting, you know? Um, There's something comforting and ancient about the song and the melody and the lyrics that are tied to it. And when we sing this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it does a really good job capturing the dual meaning of the Advent season. Because Advent means coming, right? And so we think about the first coming of the Savior, the birth of Jesus. And, and, and so we look back and we celebrate the birth of Christ and we acknowledge the, the ancient longing that the people of Israel had for when that day would come, when the Savior would be born, when the Savior would enter into mankind. And so we sing looking backwards and we, we celebrate that. But then we also sing looking forwards because... Jesus is coming again. There's a second advent. And so just as the ancient people of Israel longed for the coming of a deliverer, we currently long for the coming of the deliverer as well. It's going to be different when he comes back. He's not going to come as a humble little baby born, you know, in in the corner of the world. He's going to come back in majesty and pomp and, and glory. And that's going to be a beautiful day. But, but when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, it captures this dual meaning of the Advent. Now, a little bit about the song. O come, O come, Emmanuel was written by an unknown monk somewhere before 800 A.D. He penned the words. And obviously this monk was very theologically astute because he captured Jesus' fulfillment in the New Testament of Old Testament prophecies. And so this monk wrote this out in Latin, and, and that, that existed, and then um, that eventually worked its way into the church, and, and for many years, the church uh, started chanting and singing this song in a special time called Vespers. Vespers was uh, evening prayer services, and because this song has multiple uh, lyrics that address unique messianic titles to Jesus each day, each of these nights, because there's seven verses in the song in total, was a welcoming of the Savior by specific messianic names all the way up to Christmas. And so that became part of the rhythm of the church for many centuries. And then uh, in 1850, an Anglican priest uh, named John Mason Neal dusted off the Latin text and translated it into English in, in, in the t- words that we have now. And somewhere along the lines, we're not exactly sure where, um, there was a French tune from the 15th century church that was paired with the song to give it the current uh, tune, melody, and context that we have today. This song has been sung in one way, shape, or form for over 1,200 years. It is the oldest Christmas song that we know of. And it's a fascinating song. But it isn't the tune that makes the song so captivating. It's the content. It's the substance of the song. And this song is tied to a passage in Scripture I want to invite you into. It's found in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7. Verse 14, Isaiah 7, 14 is the, uh, you know, are the biblical roots of this song. This is what inspired the lyrics. And in Isaiah 7, 14, we see this passage. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall be called Emmanuel. His name shall call his, and shall call his name Emmanuel. A little tongue tied there. Um, and this verse is an Old Testament prophecy about the birth of the one who would come, who we now know as Jesus Christ, who would save mankind. And this verse was given over 700 years 
before Jesus was ever even born. This is a foretelling. This is a prophecy. And so uh, it's, it's fabulous and it's fascinating. Some people, though, have been a little confused by this verse and by songs that tie into this verse. It says his name shall be called Emmanuel. And we're like, okay, time out. Is his name Jesus or is it Emmanuel? Is this like a Latin cousin? Like, what's the deal here? Jesus, Emmanuel, we're not sure what to do. And why is it Emmanuel with an I in some places and is it Emmanuel with an E in other places? Like, what's with that? And so really basically with the I and E thing, uh, when you see Emmanuel with an I, that's the English translation out of the Hebrew uh, Emmanuel. That's where you see the I directly. And when you see Emmanuel with an E, that's the English translation out of the Greek of Emmanuel. So it's the same name, but just comes out of the different translation context. And as far as the name Emmanuel, we have to understand this isn't his given name, but it's a title. It's a reflection of his nature. It's what he will be known as. It's, it's, it's what he's going to do. It's a title. Think of Isaiah chapter 9, for example. In Isaiah chapter 9, it talks about the Messiah being known as Wonderful Counselor, right? Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He, he didn't sign off Prince of Peace. You know, that, that wasn't his name. That was a title given to him. Something that's reflective of his nature and his role. Emmanuel is the same thing. It's a title. His name shall be called Emmanuel. This is a reflection of his nature, of his character, of the role that he plays. And Emmanuel means God with us. But Emmanuel is not the only special messianic name or title referred to in the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It mentions several others, a couple of them. One of them is Dayspring. Uh, Dayspring is a messianic name of, of, of the Messiah. It's the morning star, the bringer of light, the greatest light, the superior light. Also, Rod of Jesse. Rod of Jesse is a reference to the stump. You know, the, the, the people of Israel looked at this, uh, the line of David and go, it's just this dead stump. But then there's this branch that came alive and started to grow, this rod, this stem of Jesse. So this is a reference to the lineage of King David, the rod of Jesse, the key of David. Same thing, it's a reference of lineage, uh, the one who holds the keys to the throne of King David. And so these are, these are titles. And Emmanuel is a powerful, comforting title. God with us. And it takes on uh, even greater meaning when we understand the context of where and when this verse was written. So as we look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, what's the context? What's happening there? Now, this is going to be a complete and utter shock to you guys. But when you look over the history of Israel, okay, there's been a lot of wars, um, captivity, tensions, and skirmishes with bordering neighbors. I don't know if you knew that, okay? Some things never change, right? The names might change, the weaponry might change, but the tensions, the chaos, the conflict over there hasn't changed. Now, uh, in the history of Israel, they experienced two major captivities. First, they experienced the Assyrian captivity, which started in about 740 BC, and then they experienced the Babylonian captivity right around about 605 BC. That started. This passage in Isaiah was written during the Assyrian captivity. And uh, basically what we need to understand geographically and historically here, what's going on, is uh, Israel had experienced a civil war, and the 12 tribes of Israel split into two, 10 tribes in the north, which re retained the name Israel, and then two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, went to the south, and they became known as Judah, all right? So they had a king in Judah, his name was Ahaz, all right? And then they had a king in Israel in the north. His name was Remaliah. 
and he had a son named Pekah. And then just above Israel was Syria. And Syria had a king named Rezin. Now at this time, at this writing, Assyria, okay, not Syria, but Assyria, was just taking over kingdoms and empires. And they set their gaze to Syria and Israel and Judah, specifically Jerusalem, and they wanted it all. And so they're going to come and attack. So as, as word of this is getting out, king of Syria, reason, starts talking to the prince, the son of the king, Pekah, in Israel, and they come up to make an alliance. They say, we're not going to be able to defeat Assyria by ourselves. Let's work together. And they came to King Ahaz in Judah and said, you need to join our alliance. And Ahaz says, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to be part of this. So that angered Reason and Pekah. So they now formed an alliance and they gathered their armies and they came down to Jerusalem. They came down to Judah to force King Ahaz and the people of Judah to join their alliance to fight against Assyria. This is where this is pinned out of. And we see uh, really insightful verses. Look at Isaiah 7. Look at verses 1 and 2 for the historical context here. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezan, the king of Syria, Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. They basically just sieged uh, Jerusalem. Um, When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, which is a nickname because of one of the tribes of Israel in uh, Israel there. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. This is huge. Your King Ahaz. You've got two armies camping outside your gate trying to force you into an alliance. They're big, they're strong. There's the looming giant Assyrian army also coming your way. And you're up against the wall. How do you feel? Well, Ahaz and the people of Judah were terrified. They were intimidated. They were overwhelmed. They were scared. It says their hearts begin to shake like the leaves in a tree. Some of you have seen how leaves in a tree shake when a big storm is coming. This, this, is, the, this is the condition of their heart. And it's at this point in time that God sends in his prophet Isaiah. He sends Isaiah to King Ahaz of Judah. He says, don't be afraid. You don't need to fear. By the way, you know, over and over and over and over and over again, one of the themes of the Bible is don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Man, God must know us really well, right? Because <laughs> he has to say it over and over and over again. And here we have Ahaz, God saying, don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. And here's a sign. Here's a sign that I'm going to be with you. And then he plants the seed of Isaiah 7:14 into fertile soil in these hearts talking about a child that's going to be born, a special child that will be known as Emmanuel, God with us. What Ahaz needed to know, what the people of Judah needed to know is that God was with them because they were faithful to him at that time. And so this was a dual prophecy during the time of Isaiah, during the time of all this, uh, you know, war and conflict and chaos, there was a special child that was going to be born that would be a reminder to Ahaz and to the people that God was with them. And yet at the same time, the dual nature of this prophecy, it's also referring to the future one who would come, who would deliver not just King Ahaz and King Judah, but would deliver all of mankind from sin. And one would come and his name would be God with us. We of course see this fulfillment recorded in the book of Matthew. Turn in your Bibles now to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. In the book of Matthew, chapter 1, 
We see in part of the Christmas narrative, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, we see the fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14, right? It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, here's the key, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken, parentheses, almost 700 years before by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. When we lift up the name of Emmanuel, God with us, when we sing songs like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we're celebrating the past fulfillment of the birth of the one who would come to rescue mankind from his sins. We're celebrating the current reality that God is with us now. And we are celebrating this longing that we have and the future awareness that he is going to come again. This is the beauty of the past, present, and future nature when we say Emmanuel, when we sing songs like, Oh, come, Emmanuel. And it makes sense because when you look at um, the people of Israel and their whole history, and they always experienced great conflict and great chaos, and they needed comfort in the midst of that. They needed this message, and they needed it with the slavery in Egypt. They needed it with Assyrian captivity. They needed it with the Babylonian captivity and all the other tensions and wars that constantly surrounded that nation. They needed the good news of God with us. You think about uh, the promise of God with us as a comfort to them in ancient times. You think about the, when the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, was written based on Isaiah 7.14. I mean, it was the dark ages. Man, there was chaos and there was conflict. They needed something to comfort, to remind them that God was with them. And so this song became something in the church, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, to help bring comfort in the midst of the chaos and the conflict. And then there's us. And look at our headlines. Let's just look at our life. Look look at what's around us. Let's look what's in us. When we look at the global headlines and we start to see all the chaos, I mean, nothing's really changed in the Middle East, right? We still see all that's going on with Israel, Iraq, Iran, you know, all of Palestine, Syria, and the, the, the surrounding nations. We see the violence that's happening. You know, we, get, we got Beirut, and we've got you know, Paris, we've got Africa, we've got Eastern Europe. Europe. I mean, there's just, the, the world's a broken place. And we see conflict, and we see chaos. We, we look at our own nation, right? I mean, recent things. We've got San Bernardino. Of course, we've got Charleston, Chicago, Colorado Springs. I mean, there's this huge list of all the violence and the upheaval in our own nation. We don't need to look past our own families. I mean, we come a little bit closer to home, and and we look at the the divorce rate. We look at some of the, look, some of your marriages, let's let's not be um, coy here. Some of your marriages right now are struggling, and there's conflict, and there's chaos. Some of your relationships with your, your children or your other family members, there's conflict. You look at your other relationships, people in the workplace, your neighbors, your friendships, and there's, there's conflict or chaos in some of those relationships. You look inside of us. We don't need to look any further than our own heart. And we see the temptations, the dark places that exist in our own heart. 
And we see the depression and the temptation and the perversion and the anxiety. I mean, anxiety medication is number one top-selling medication. Like, our, our hearts are a mess. You know what we need? We need comfort in the midst of the chaos and the conflict. And the comfort that was offered in ancient times is the same comfort that God offers us now. Emmanuel, God with us. That's the comfort that we need. And some of us are thinking, man, if I could just have more money, that would bring me the comfort. That's not going to bring you the comfort you need. Maybe temporarily, what you need is Emmanuel, God with you. Some of you are thinking, man, if I could just get that guy or that girl to marry me, maybe, maybe that's what it'll take and I'll, I'll have comfort. No, you, you might have some companionship. <laughs> You'll have more conflict, that's for sure. <laughs> what you need is Emmanuel. Some of you are like, man, if we just have that baby, you know, if we, if we just have that child and if we just can conceive and give birth, man, maybe that'll just, that'll bring the comfort. No, that might bring more chaos for you as well as blessing. What you need is Emmanuel. And we just, we just, we go chasing after all these other things. There's all this chaos, all this conflict. Like if we just, if the government would just do this and, and if people would just do that and if we put these laws in place or if we change that, if we do this, that would make us, everything would be comfortable. That's not going to bring comfort. Only Emmanuel, God with us, is going to bring the comfort we need. And it's the hope of the promise. It's the, it's the beauty of the promise delivered and it's the longing for the promise yet to come. This, this is what Emmanuel means. But Emmanuel is not with you unless you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. You, you can't hope in someone that you don't believe in. You can't sing God with me unless God is with you. So unless you believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, unless you believe that he came and was born of a miraculous virgin birth and lived a perfect life, unless you believe that he died on the cross as an atoning sacrifice to pay for the sins of mankind to appease God's justice and wrath, unless you believe that Jesus Christ was put in a grave and victoriously raised three days later to conquer death and sin, unless you believe that Jesus Christ hung out for 40 days showing off his resurrection body to hundreds and then ascended into heaven, and unless you believe Jesus' final words of, I'm coming back one day, how can you sing Emmanuel? How can you have comfort in the midst of your chaos? How can you have comfort in the midst of conflict? You can't. You need Emmanuel, God with us. Look at a couple things that Jesus, our Emmanuel, said. We look at Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am, what's the word? With you always to the end of the age. At another point in time, Jesus said this, and this is so beautiful because it captures the oneness of God, yet the beauty of his triune existence. In John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, speaking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. You know, the Greek word there is paraclete. It means comforter, helper, comforter, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells, what? with you and will be in you. Man, with all the chaos, all the conflict, the thing that gives us comfort is that God is with us, God is in us, and God is for us. That's the reality. That's the comfort. That's what we need to hear. That's what we need to see. So then why the captivity? 
Why has Israel gone through all that they've gone through? Why is the world reeling in chaos the way it is? We know that it's broken. We know that sin is having its effects. But God's still using the brokenness. God's still using the effects. When you study the history of Israel, you see that all these times of captivity led the people of Israel to a place of longing. They just realized, they came to the end of themselves and realized nothing fulfilled, nothing satisfied, and they longed to be close to God. And they longed to see the promises God made come true. And they watched many of those come true. Some of them came true after them. So the reason a lot of us are in captivity and chaos and conflict is that God's going to use them in your life to create a longing for him. Because quite honestly, we long for other things to to resolve life's conflicts and chaos, and it's not going to. Temporary satisfaction, temporary fulfillment, but that anchor of peace, the anchor of hope is God with us. It's Emmanuel, and it's knowing that God is in me, and God is with me, and God is for me. All of these things that anchor us, it's building a longing. Like that last shooting, it just, I mean, look, the, the list is on and on and on, and we don't mean any disrespect to any place, but it's like, like when you think about San Bernardino, the last one, it's like, I, I just sat there when I saw that come across the news, and I was just grieved. I just again? Again? And you know what? I was studying this. And you know the first thing that came out of my mouth? My mouth? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Come. Would you, would, you, would you come? I long for you to just come. And when you come, Jesus, you're going to put an end to all of this. There'll be no more headlines like this. And when you come, there's going to be perfect peace because you're going to come and you're going to clean house. And you're going to deliver finally and fully mankind from the effects of sin. I can't wait till Jesus comes. But until that day, what do I do? I just comfort myself with the message, Emmanuel, God with me. Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us. And we cling to him, and we cling to the hope. We need that. And so when we see songs like, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, they have these biblical themes. They're, they're comforting. They're, they're moving to our heart because it's that theology to music. It's a song of what has come and what is coming. It's a song of what has happened and what's going to happen. And it affects our current reality. And so when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, rejoice with the past and the coming of Jesus and his birth, his first advent. We rejoice with the fact that he's here with us now, that current reality. And we rejoice with the fact that he's coming. And one day we're going to be with him forever for those who know him and love him. And so we have comfort in chaos and conflict because God is with us. And when you put this all together, a scriptural foundation, a, a backdrop of a promise-keeping God and the texture of the people of God bringing song and meaning to all of this, we can sing these songs with hope and we sing these songs with joy and we sing these songs with a longing of who Christ is and what he brings to our life. I just want to take a few minutes to look at even a few of the lyrics that come out of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. There's seven verses. I'm just going to look at three. The first one, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel. You know what? Israel was captive. Some of you are held captive right now. Captive by certain attitudes, certain addictions, certain behavior, certain situations. And you sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Ransom me, Lord. Save me from this, from those that mourn in lonely exile here. I, I love the touch with Isaiah 61 here. That God turns mourning into dancing and he frees the captives the whole spirit is captured in this, in this lyric here. 
Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Why? Because the Son of God appeared. The Son of God appeared, giving us hope. Uh, O come thou dayspring, the, the bringer of light. Come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Let your coming bring us joy, is what's being said here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Some of you are living in a dark cloud, and the only hope you have is to cry out with your heart, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, rejoice, Emmanuel. Another verse, O come, desire of nations. Man, the one who shakes the nations. The one we're all longing for. Bind in one heart, one the hearts of all mankind. O bid our sad division cease and be yourself our king of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to you, O Israel. Do you hear the depth of the biblical narrative? You hear the depth of the hope and the understanding? Yeah, this is theology to music. It's beautiful. And so as we come here today, as we, as we enter into a season of Advent, as we enter into a season of, of celebrating the past and what the birth of Christ means and the longing and crying out for the future, we come with that same message. Oh, come, Emmanuel. God with us. We need you. And so for those of you here who are followers of Christ, let, let this ignite your heart. Let this narrow your focus. Like some of you are coming here in here, Christmas is a time of conflict and chaos. Conflict with family, chaos, you know, got to get everything done. It's not what Jesus had intended for us. And so let, let the message of his presence comfort us. And let's, let's narrow our focus to the, the one who comes to give us freedom and joy, that we can rejoice in him. Let that be preeminent in our celebration of Advent and Christmas this month. And for some of you who've walked away from the Lord, you're here, you're watching online, and you know what? You're not, you're not close to the Lord. You know Jesus, but you're not walking with him. Maybe you've let your exile, your captivity take you far, and now you, you need to come back and just say, God, I'm sorry. I repent. I come back to you. I want to walk close with you. You're my Emmanuel. You're with me. You just need to get back on track with the Lord. There might be some of you watching online or here right now, you aren't in relationship with Christ. Man, let this song be a clear invitation to you. Because you can't have the hope unless you have the one you need to hope in. And so Jesus invites you into relationship. He says, give up chasing all those other things and let me in. And maybe today is the day that you can simply say, God, I have a lot to learn, but I'm taking my first step of faith right here, right now. I believe in Jesus. I believe you came in this virgin birth. I believe you lived a perfect life died on the cross, rose from the grave, you ascended, you're coming back, I've got a lot to learn, I'm going to start with this first step of belief and just say, come, come Emmanuel, come be with me. If you do that, there's, there's response cards in front of the chairs in front of you in your program, just let us know that, that you're following up with that and we want to get back in touch with you and let you know how to grow in this relationship. But, but all of us are meeting in that same place. Oh, come, oh, come Emmanuel, God with us. There's no greater message of hope that we can cling to. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you make promises. But more importantly, God, thank you that you keep promises. And God, we think about this promise that you gave in Isaiah 7, 14, 700 years before Jesus was even born. Only you could do that. 
And God, we know there's all sorts of other little nuances and miracles involved in even just the birth of Christ and the life of Christ and the death of Christ. But thank you, Lord, that in the midst of all this conflict that we experience, in the midst of all the chaos that we experience, that we can come to you, we can cling to you, we can hope in you. God, thank you for being our Emmanuel, our God with us. You didn't abandon us. You didn't forsake us. You haven't neglected us. And even though the world rages, you're with us. Lord, please find us faithful to cry out, Emmanuel, God with us. God, thank you for the fulfillment of that promise through the birth of Christ. Thank you for the longing of the promise to be fulfilled fully when Jesus returns. So God, take our lives and use them for your glory. Use them for your purpose. And Lord, for anyone here who's taking that first step of faith, Lord, let that Emmanuel aspect of who you are be so real to them today as they trust in you as their Savior. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, our Emmanuel, we say, Amen. Amen.